0: So this summer, we've been walking through just some some basic Bible characters that we haven't spent much time on lately, trying to learn from their stories and asking, you know, so what? Why does this matter for our life? And uh, we're we're dealing with uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, one of my favorite Bible people, Thomas, uh, Doubting Thomas and it's important to remember as we look at these stories that these were real people with real strengths and weaknesses and they, their experiences were real. And so I believe that Thomas has a bum rap and we're going to talk about that a, a little bit in, in a larger topic of uh, spiritual authenticity which I believe is you know is one of my highest values. The ability to call a spade a spade and to feel what we feel and acknowledge our struggles and our strengths. To acknowledge when we're having a great day, also when we're not having a good day. To acknowledge the things that we have no doubt about and the things that don't make sense to us. I think it's extremely important that we learn to be spiritually authentic. And unfortunately, so much of the Christian world and the religious world uh, wars against authenticity, labeling any struggle as bad. So, in the first pages of scripture, we see this account when God is about to, for lack of a better word, organize faith. He's about to create sort of a structure to faith. He goes to a guy named Jacob, and he wrestles him. God wrestled, like physical wrestling match. And there's not necessarily a clear winner, but Jacob is sort of labeled the winner because he wrestles with God. And he's renamed Israel, which is a play on words, and it's like he's named God-wrestler, because that's what Israel means. And so all of God's people are called the Israelites, literally the God-wrestlers. So the idea of struggle is baked into What it means to try to connect with God and be in a friendship with God. There's a struggle. It's in the name. So I think we're off base when we begin to feel like somehow the struggle shouldn't be there. Now I assume what happened was that religious leaders at some point in time began to feel threatened by the flock asking questions and so they began to label spiritual authenticity as bad and started to slap fingers with rulers and things like that when somebody dare question something. But there are plenty of times when things don't make sense to me. Why did that mom die of a brain aneurysm while this bad guy gets to live Seemingly for decades and decades and decades. What if some of the things included in the Bible really weren't intended by God to be there? What if we're wrong about this whole thing? Why did that bad thing happen? Why did that guy get that? Why did that person lose their job? There are all sorts of questions. And all sorts of fears and doubts. And I believe what we see is a Bible that encourages us to be real and to work those things out. Now I have seen in my 16 years of ministry, it seems that people who choose the route of spiritual inauthenticity, meaning they're just going to play the game and look the part. And I've known a few, worked with a few, been close with a few who play the game, and either collapse and wound hundreds in the process, or become so shallow and fake that nobody can really rely on them in any real time of need because they choose painting a picture over expressing who they really are and what they're really dealing with. And I believe that spiritual authenticity is so important and Thomas is my model. I admire admire Thomas over any of the other disciples and would love to have dinner with him or lunch with him or hang out on the patio with him Uh, just, just to listen to his description of his times with Jesus, more to hear his frustrations than anything else. So let's take a look at, at the, the three stories we have about Thomas, all given to us by John. And, and I don't know, you know what John and, and Thomas' friendship look like, but John is the only one who really tells us what Thomas was like. So the first is chapter 11, chapter 11 of the book of John. I'd love for you to turn there and follow along with me. <coughs> Says now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, so he was from this region called Bethany. A village of Mary and his sister Martha. These were all friends of Jesus. This same Mary, uh, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So that's a side story; doesn't really matter for this one. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus is far away from the region. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then they say, your friend is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So Jesus kind of says, don't worry, Lazarus isn't going to die. I mean, that's kind of what he says here. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister uh, and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That's where Bethany was. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. So here's the situation. All of this stuff from the life of Thomas that we're going to read about takes place in about three weeks, real time, probably less than that. It's at the very end of Jesus' life. And the popularity tide has turned against Jesus. He's frustrating people because he's not doing this military revolution against the Romans. He's frustrating the religious leaders because his teachings are counter to their kind of domineering hierarchy uh, self-righteous. I mean, he is irritating everybody. And the last time he was in this region... He, he, they want to stone him, they want to kill him for his teachings, and now he's looking at his friends, his disciples, and saying, hey, Lazarus isn't going to die, but let's go back. Now, you'll be able to appreciate that more in a little bit, but the idea is, well, let's, let's, let's go back. It would be like saying, like, let's just say I take a group of you and, and we go to Pittsburgh. And we teach a message of sportsmanship and good hygiene. And they've never heard this before, so they run us out. And then I say to you, let's go back to Pittsburgh. You say, no, they don't, they're savages. Well, this is what Jesus does here, and he doesn't even really tell them why. So their first inclination is to say, Jesus, that's a really dumb idea. Um, Okay. Verse 9. Jesus answered. So after they say, let's not go back, Jesus says this, insightful comment. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now I can picture about half the disciples trying to pretend like they know what the heck Jesus is talking about. And the other half are just kind of sitting there, you know. And and Thomas, all the while, you get the feeling that he's getting frustrated. After he said this, he went on to say, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Not true. He had died. Jesus is talking in in cryptic language here. But I'm going there to wake him up. Now, that's a symbolic way. I mean, Jesus isn't lying, but he's certainly not full disclosure here. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Right? That's what you do to get better. He'll wake up on his own like people do every day. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So so no one is really confident that this is a good idea. It's not like there was doubting Thomas and believing 11. <clears throat> Everybody thinks this is a bad idea. Jesus is being cryptic. He's not telling them, full disclosure, here's what's going to happen. It's like he's wrestling with them. He's toying with their faith. Finally. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of his disciples, let's also go, that we may die with him. Thomas throws up his hand and says, "Let you know what, let's just go and die with him, guys. Now here's what I love about Thomas here. He says, I don't get it, I'm not going to fake it, but I'm all in. And if I'm being honest with you, That's the best you can do in plenty of situations in this world as you try to walk with Jesus. I don't get it. I'm not going to pretend to get it. I'm all in, though. And I think that's a much better answer than coming up with some kind of churchy rhetoric for stuff that we don't understand. I don't get it. I'm not going to pretend to get it. But I'm all in with you. When somebody loses their job, you know, that's how, well, everything happens for a reason. You have it better than whatever. How about, that's horrible, I don't get it, but I'm all in, I'm with you. Somehow, we're going to get through this together. That's being authentic, and I think that's a much healthier answer than trying to come up with some formula that sounds great, But there's nothing real to it. Thomas looks at at, at everybody. He says, I don't get it. But let's go and die with them. I'm all in. All right. Let's look at the next thing. A couple pages over, chapter 14. This is the last night. Jesus is with his disciples uh, one last night. And he begins to tell them in chapter 14, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you, and he's using all this cryptic language again. Uh, you don't know, I'm going to leave you, and, and I'm going to make a, a room for you in my father's house, and we're going to be together someday. And, and he, says, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You can just feel as Jesus begins to paint this this picture of uncertainty. He's leaving, the counselor's coming, so it's for your good that I'm leaving. But here's the deal. You you get the picture as we look at these different accounts that deep down, Thomas, his deep down belief, this is the all-knowing God of the universe. It's like that's what he wanted to believe. And there's evidence for that. We'll see it in a minute. Thomas wanted to believe that it was the all-powerful, ever-present. But, but then these things, that Jesus, is, is, he's disappointing him. He's not doing things, and, and it's bubbling up. And, and finally, Jesus, you know where I'm going. He's like, no, we don't. How are we supposed to go there? You can picture the other disciples, oh, you, know, you can't talk to Jesus like that. But what I love is that, that Thomas doesn't care what anybody else is thinking. Thomas just... This is real. This is where I'm at. Thomas doesn't care about getting it right. It's not about saying the right thing. It's not about pleasing other people with his response. It's it's, it's not about looking right. Thomas wants to figure it out. And anything short of that isn't going to do. And when he doesn't get it, he expresses it. Now, there's somebody in my family, it was not my parents, but somebody that I loved very much from my family, um, used to say to me, you know what, we're not supposed to question the Bible. We're not supposed to ask, where did Cain and Abel get their wives? You know, the Adam and Eve's kids. We're not supposed to ask those kinds of things. That's bad. And this is often the thinking that that, that it's bad that that good Christians don't ask questions. But Thomas isn't necessarily chastised for saying, I don't know what you're talking about, God. And I'm not going to pretend it. But yet, Thomas hangs around. Last story of of, of Thomas that that we read about is in chapter 20. Jesus has, has just risen from the dead. And the Bible says, so what people group, I guess it's a people group, who did, who did Jesus first appear to? The women. He appeared to the women, his women followers, and they go back and they tell the, the, the male disciples who think they're pretty much nuts. They think they're out of their mind. But it says that John and Peter ran back as fast as they could to the tomb to check it out. Now, John lets us know that he, in fact, outran Peter. He wants us to know that he was the faster of the two. And and we get the picture that they believed. There was some uncertainty, but that deep down they they believed, especially John. He, He believed. But the rest of the disciples weren't as convinced, but Jesus shows up. He shows himself alive in the presence of the disciples they get to see him but Thomas is out for a walk and I love this cuz I you know I think this is some creative freedom here but I think Thomas is probably doing what I do he he, he sulks best walking alone just it didn't come out you know it didn't turn out the way and, and and so he gets back and they say we have seen the lord Thomas says, verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, show me the proof, put my hands in his side where he was pierced, I will not believe. You just get that kind of pouty frustration, but authentic, you know what, now this isn't good enough, I got to see something, I am not going to get my hopes up again. A week later, one agonizing week later. Now, you know, Jesus could have just, ta-da, they're right, I'm here. He's going to show himself to be alive anyway. Why didn't Jesus let him go for an agonizing week? He didn't say, well, see, they're right. You're wrong. They're right. I'm alive. One Agonizing week. <clears throat> Disciple was in the house, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach your hand out, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord, And my God. Thomas was one of the first people on the planet to look at Jesus and declare him to be the God of all creation. That doesn't sound like a doubter to me. It sounds like somebody who was so convinced but just couldn't get everything that he needed quite right. But he hung out. And that's the important thing, because listen, you're not always going to get the the, the perfect delineation that you need or that you want, but you hang out, and God makes himself real. Thomas could have threw up his hands and walked away, because it doesn't always fit together perfectly, but he hung out with all of his fears and all of his doubts. He stayed close to the action, and eventually... God made himself real in a way that Thomas could sink in and say, my Lord and my God. Now, I'm going to take the rest of my time and kind of hijack this thing and and talk through uh, what God, I think, is is telling me personally, and maybe you can benefit from this, um, because this is something, I mean, this has been a a wrestling match for me lately. I've been spending a lot of time talking with God, saying, uh, you know what, God, where you at? Why am I not seeing and experiencing the power that I would expect? I look at the New Testament, and I don't see it. I don't see the overwhelming power at work in the church like I'd want to see. And I don't experience Jesus like I want to experience. Why aren't you showing up like I expect you to show up? And I've been wrestling with God quite a bit uh, with that, and... and. and um A a, a lot of times it's when I'm outside at night or just kind of walking around, you know, whatever, by myself, sulking. Probably like Thomas, out walking, irritated. That I get that deep down kind of inner voice that I I know doesn't come from my own thinking. And and I just kind of come to believe that to be God speaking. And, And I felt like God is saying, you know, as I wrestle through this, do the work. Do the work. So I begin to wrestle through what, what's that mean, do the work? And the imagery that I get is American Ninja Warrior. Have you guys seen, you guys watch American Ninja Warrior? It's become a family favorite where people do these superhuman feats of strength that you'll never have to do in real life, but it's amazing. To, to watch them and and, and and I get the you know that's what I want spiritually. I want to see that kind of power. I want to see that kind of strength and those kind of capabilities. Where where are they at? Come on. But the truth is that that those people work out like none other. They're working out hours a day. And they're eating like none other. I mean they're not eating Wendy's, frosties, and Cheetos. <laughs> right? And over time, day after day after day after day of living like none other, they're getting results and strength like none other. Now, turn into Scripture. This is the passage that's on my heart as I wrestle with God. It comes from Leviticus chapter 10. It's it's from the very early moments of, of God trying to train His people what it means to walk with Him. And He says this, You are to distinguish... Between the holy and the common. (laughs) Between the unclean and the clean. God's saying, understand the categories that work in the world. There's holy, where the power and presence of God comes in. There's common, everyday stuff. And there's clean, and there's unclean and sinful. And you are to distinguish. You want to walk with me? You distinguish Between these boxes. So let's take a look at these boxes quick. We see the holy place. Where it's understood. The presence and power of God. Come to life. That's through reading scripture. It's through fasting. Now a Jewish fast. In Jesus day and time. was uh, You'd eat before sundown. And then sundown would happen. And you wouldn't eat again until the next sundown. So you didn't. Avoid food for a whole waking. You know, you ate every calendar day. But there was a full 24-hour period. And there was spiritual power and strength that came from fasting. From praying daily, talking to God. From generosity. Do you know that the ancients, followers of Jesus, 10 to 15 percent off the top went outward to causes that were close to the heart of God. Sabbath. You didn't miss a Sabbath. One 24-hour-a-day period, once a week. One 24-hour-a-day period a week, you devoted to the holy. You stayed away from the common, even if it was clean. You stayed away from the unclean and you 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 devoted yourself to things that were close to the heart of God. You didn't miss, without fail, Sabbath. (coughs) Gathering together regularly. This is a sacred space in the Bible. There is power. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I'm there also. There's power in this gathering. So that's the holy box that just disappeared. And we're not going to be able to read that little one. Then there's the common and the clean. These are the everyday things of life. The honey-do list. The normal TV and normal music. Cheeseburgers and shopping. Just the stuff of life. It's common. There's nothing spiritually great about it, but there's nothing negative. It's just kind of neutral. There's that space that we live in And then there's the unclean, things like lust and anger and media that leads to lust and anger and drunkenness and gluttony and consumerism. These are the negative spiritual things that that pull us away from the power and presence of God. Now understand that holy box. The motives are for health and not self-righteousness. Because in Jesus' day and time, there were a lot of people that spent time doing those things to look awesome. And that doesn't do any good. That probably becomes sinful in and of itself. So, here's the deal. Sometimes I say to myself, I've done all the stuff, why am I not seeing the results? I've prayed, I've fasted, I've read the Bible, and I'm underwhelmed with the power and presence of Jesus in my life. And that's where I think God says, do the work. Or maybe He says, really? Really? You've done that? So what I want to do is take a look. Let's take a look at the the ancient, the, the, the first century Christians, their workout. Okay, this was their spiritual workout in the first century. First of all, tithing, especially Jewish Christians... They they continued that uh, tithing giving at least 10% of the causes of God was a regular part of their routine fasting two days a week sundown to sundown two days a week Monday and Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday without fail fasting two days a week that was their routine prayer three to seven times a day they would stop what they were doing and pray Sabbath, without fail, especially the Jewish Christians, bam, 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 every week there was a day that was devoted completely to strengthening their spirits and their souls and gathering together regularly. Now, let's do a a corporate test here. Everybody stand up, please. As I look to God Almighty and say, why ain't you showing up, God? Why ain't I seeing you the way you showed up in the New Testament? And God says, do the work. Let's do something here. Let's skip the first one because that's personal. Let's start with fasting. If you can say, stay standing. If you have fasted without fail at least twice a week, at least two days a week, without fail for the last three months, stay standing. And I'm going to have to sit down. Two times a week. We have one. And I know you are a faster, so I appreciate that. So out of our collective body, one person can, and this is true of the first service to only one person, in all of Polaris can say, I fast like they did in the first century at least two days a week. Okay? Everybody back up. If you can say without fail that I have prayed... Three to seven times a day over the past three months, three to seven times a day without fail, stay standing. And I unfortunately can't say that every day over the past three months I have at least three to seven times a day. So we have a few this service, that's excellent. Everybody back up. Without fail, one day a week, you have stayed as much out of the common box as possible. And devoted one day a week completely to resting in the presence of God in the sacred spaces. Without fail, you have practiced Sabbath over the past three months. Stay standing. Okay, we have a few Sabbath keepers. But here's the deal. I couldn't, okay, we're good. I couldn't, I couldn't stay standing Of the pastors, of the elders, of the leaders of this church, of the core of this church, very few of us could say we work out spiritually the way the average Christian did in the first century. So maybe that power that I want to see, that American ninja warrior spirituality, maybe that's not there Because I haven't done the work to get there. So here's how I want to close this out. You guys can come on up. We're going to do one more song. And and here's the deal. Um, I think it's really, really, really important to be spiritually authentic. To label our fears and doubts and frustrations really important. But let's understand as we express our frustrations to God that a good portion of that frustration may very well be because we have not done near the hard work described in Scripture. When we feel good about ourselves after a couple hours of prayer or a day of fasting, let's understand that this is from God's perspective, was a regular rhythm. So after getting it right for a week and a half, and we're frustrated that we can't lay our hands on somebody and have them healed, um, let's understand that, that maybe there's more work to be done more consistently to really experience God the way they did in the New Testament. All right, let's stand, and, and, and I want you to think about that holy block And this is the time for us to express authentically our desire to learn life in those places where we find our strength and gain our strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us enough that you can allow us to be authentic. You know our hearts. You're not fooled by our fakeness. We don't have to hide ourselves from you. And I hope you find in us a heart that wants to believe. A spirit of, I don't get it, but I'm all in anyway. I pray that you would lead us to the kind of discipline, to the kind of work that it takes to build true friendship with you. Hard work. You you once told us, if you can't die to everything, don't even bother trying to follow me. I pray that you would find that kind of spirit in us and you would build through your spirit that kind of hunger in us. We do the work, no matter our busyness, no matter our struggles, that we do the work to grow deeper and deeper in friendship and to experience more and more of your presence and power. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.